Do you need any water or anything else, Jay? Mm-mm. Are we live? Oh, we've been live. Oh, okay. Swallow. Um, I think I'm good to be. It's probably your backwash swallow too. I, oh. I love a little backwash. Ew. Wash my back. Um, <laughs> 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 Wash. Let me get back to F. Is that F? Yeah, you already F. did it. No, I did. That was for G. This is F. This is going to come out before. This is going to come out on Tuesday, this Tuesday. But we already did F because you you said you weren't going to say fagged. Remember I said I had to go back and do G? That's why. I know, but you've already done F. <clears throat> the public doesn't know this. I know, but you recorded it already is what I'm saying. And I'm going to edit it out. Excuse me, dude. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The sass. The brass over here. I... Explain. I feel like I know what women feel like when they have to over-explain to a man that they already know what they're doing. And then you keep coming in telling me that I don't. And I'm like, I have a degree. And Not a degree. You know, this, you were mansplaining me. <laughs> no, I wasn't. I think there was just a confusion and, and comprehension because... So I'm going so to let, let the next man who mansplains you use that excuse and see how that feels. No, it's, it's, just, it's just completely different. No, it's as very different. It's very different. It is. It's always different. I thought maybe you forgot that you had already done F and that you were just going to copy and paste it. I'm not really forgetful, but when I am, I'm also very appreciative that someone reminded me. Also, I, re- I forgot who I was talking to, and you're a perfectionist. So even if you already did do F, it really doesn't matter because it came in time before it was ready to come, and so therefore mm-hmm. it really didn't come at all. Yeah. Oh, Aries are a perfectionist. <sighs> I also have a... Um, my Jupiter is in... Um, in Virgo, Virgo, which means that my philosophy of life is that all things should be done with perfection. Yep. So whether I actually amount to it or not, my philosophy of life is perfection. Good yep. luck with that. Yeah. I'll support you in the ways that I can. Welcome back to the Dancing Union Podcast, where we talk about the fascinated, the faultless, the fantastical, the fascinating, fancy, fastidious, faithful, fantastic, and fatigued life of a dance artist. My name is Jay Bowie. And I am the fantasy that is Melanie. And this is the Dance Union, Union. Podcast. <sighs> Shout out to Cardi B. Um, <laughs> <laughs> from the Bronx. From the Bronx. Um, so, Jay, folks, we're just going to jump right in the conversation. No, joking. no, 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 we're not. Because <laughs> we have a new introduction. <laughs> not new, we have a new game that we play for the, um, uh, you got to guess the name of the show uh-huh. based on me singing or um, saying the lyrics to the introduction song, the theme song. Are you ready? Uh, yes, I hope you're ready. Just, I just want to also say that, Jay, you um, will fail in the future. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh not even God. okay sure i will have i i also feel as though i might have a difficulty with this in the near future <laughs> so i'm gonna you know be generous with myself are you ready i'm so ready 
You can also help out too, Ricardo. Okay. So, so, but I would say though, um, it's Melanie's the only one that's graded on this. Like you, you know what uh-huh. I mean. Like don't if you don't and, get and it. By, and by graded on it, meaning only Jay is actually keeping score of yeah. any of this. Okay. Melanie is actually not even participating in that part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you ready? Yes. She was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens, until her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. What was she to do? Where was she to go? She was out the on nanny. her fa- Thank you. Hey! I'm so proud Woo! of you. If you didn't get out, I'd have been really upset. She was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens, till her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. What was she to do? Where was she to go? She was out on her family. Cause like that's She's what I, a nanny. That's my favorite. Oh, and I would hear from Flushing to the Sheffield's door. She was there to sell makeup, but the father saw mom. She had style. She had flair. She was there. She had the game. The nanny. I actually didn't watch it. My sister loved that show. Oh, Don't look at me like that. But I didn't know she was from Queens. Yeah, Flushing, Queens. Oh, excuse me. I didn't know she was from Flushing, Queens. That's where all the, um uh, uh, in the show, Um, that's where all the Jewish people are in the show. Wow. Wow. Flushing. I'm going to go back and watch it with this newfound knowledge. one of my favorite shows period and i can't wait for cardi b to have her acting shine as the new reboot of the nanny even if it's for like an eight episodes like miniseries oh my god and they, they can redo it and it's like a trap not trap it's like a hip-hop like trap remix but it's from the bronx let me see if i can do it um um, um oh no i gotta write it i gotta write it yeah don't do it yet because you don't might get a pitch to somebody I, yeah i gotta write it from over the hills from what part of the bronx is she from Gun Hill Road? I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always thought she was from the Heights, but whatever. Nah, she's from the, from, from the Bronx. Um, we have a ghost voice speaking. We, we have haven't a, even... Yeah. <laughs> we have a guest, a friend, a, a, a reminder, and a, a familiar voice. A guest friend. <laughs> a guest friend in the studio. Please introduce yourself. I'm Ricardo. Hey. Hi, Ricardo. And um, how do you identify in this dance world? Um, a legend. <laughs> <laughs> One of the up and coming legendary kids. Yes, you better speak it. A legend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, what are your pronouns? He, Preferred pronouns. He them. He them. Uh, they. You know. He them they. Um, awesome. So how you doing? How you doing? I heard she's not coming back. Good. Wendy. Yeah. That's great. Isn't it canon good? Change is good. Nick canon good for what? I know he was like he was good in the drumline. He was jumping in for her. Uh uh-uh. uh. He was good. No, uh, I don't know anything about that. I know they were sending me emails about trying to get a ticket. He seems like oh. a good father. Uh, um, dead. I was like, no, no, <laughs> no, no. I won't be having any of that. Um. So yeah, how are you? How is you? How you be? Good. <clears throat> in school, a little tired. Yeah. I have one more year. Oh, one more year. Wait, is this a three-year program? No, but I finished in three years. Booyah. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm in research mode. So I'm just trying to yes. figure out, get my annotated bibliography. Together. All right. And yeah, off to Mexico next month. I really want to talk to you about this Mexico. Yes, get into it. I mean, y'all be getting and going and taking smiley photos. And I'm like, what's <laughs> going on down here? What is really going on? The black people are in Mexico. Yeah. Have you do does is this part of research? Yes, I'm researching Afro-Mexican identity and dance. Beautiful. Um, have you looked into the that community in LA? No, what community? Like the the Black African, like the Afro-Mexicans in 
L.A. There's like a there's an article about it. I'll find it. In L.A. Okay. Yeah. Is it L.A.? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are, are they Afro Mexican or are they um, half Mexican, half black? <clears throat> They're that. Which again. is very different than two, what you just said. Two act, two options, and she says yes. Yeah. So the listeners who don't know, Ricardo is doing amazing work down in Mexico, back and forth. You know, you know, living both like bi coastal and like in both countries and. Talking about the things that the folks want to deny and deny our blackness in so many different international and um, different cultural spaces, and Ricardo is doing the work of it all. I mean, I really, I really am like learning so much. I'm having so many great conversations with my friends who are Mexican club group in Arizona, right. so, and they are also beginning to feel more comfortable having those conversations. I don't think that they really did have them when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And colorism, um, we know, works. In different works differently in different societies, different cultures, and for them, some of them were considered dark, even though we would consider them very light. But mm-hmm. they were considered dark in their family because they had like just darker eyes or darker hair, and mm-hmm. so they felt like there was things that they um, didn't want to align with. Mm-hmm. But now, with all of our like our zeitgeist and our pol- our social political landscape of this country or this world, actually, this earth changing, that they're like, wow, oh, I did not know there were African Mexicans in you know, Mexico, now we need to talk about that. Yeah. So the these are Blacksicans. That's the, that's, that's the Instagram. Oh. That is the Instagram. Oh, okay. Instagram. I was going to say, I don't know if that's appropriate. I know. <laughs> I just say, and, so there, and so from that sort of movement, there have been a lot of articles about that community, particularly in L.A., Okay. And how they're sort of finding each That's other. That's where and Miguel, the singer, is from. And who is also? Afro-Mexican. Uh, so, yeah. Word. Are you taking a picture of the phone? Yeah. Is that on Instagram? Yeah. yeah. You could send it to the Instagram page. Oh, that, those things. I love how y'all use technology in the way that, like... Oh, people do? <laughs> I was not listening. I'm glad you filled in the blanks. Exactly. <laughs> Let me take a picture of your phone. <laughs> I feel like we should have some tutorials. So, like, I'm going to start scheduling them with you of being like, oh, okay, you. I've got some new ideas. Mm-hmm. All right, Thaz. Um, yeah. Let's um, make a transition step. Um, do you have a transition step for us, Ricardo? Something that we can do across the floor into the next segment? Chasse Padre, double pirouette, <laughs> towards your tay, Debbie Allen layout. So you're going to do all of that. So, we're gonna do, so you know we're doing all of that in the lobby, right? And, and, and don't be speaking French, not we. You. <laughs> I can do it. I'm actually, I'll jump in the video for this one. Look at you. Okay, so it's Chasse Padre. Um, did you say glissade torture mm-hmm. tape? Nope, double mm-hmm. pirouette. Double pirouette. Glissade out of it torture tape? I just wanted to do a glissade. Chasse into a PK arabesque torture tape. How are we going to torture tape out of a PK yeah, wait, arabesque? Hold on. Can, what yes. are you doing right now? Yeah, chasse. So from PK arabesque, we're doing torture tape? Yeah. You have your step PK. And right the from there, no transition. Oh, we're tra- chasse as a transition. Okay. Wait, from the back leg of the chasse is happening? The back leg. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. So like Faye, okay. if you will. <laughs> <laughs> I like to always do an ensemble after a Faye. But that's me. A Faye ensemble. Into the next segment, which is our history for the future. Future, 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 future. 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 
So today I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about a wonderful artist who actually just went on up to glory mm -hmm. very recently. Oh. Um, Lady Mabel Lee, um, who's a jazz American tap dancer, singer, and entertainer. And she's originally from Georgia. Um, she was okay, so she's born in Georgia and was performing at the age of four up until nine in local clubs and big bands. And then at 12 years old, she started appearing at the Top Hat nightclub in Georgia. And like so many of us, except we didn't do this in the 1940s, in the 1940s, she moved to New York City to pursue a career as a singer and a dancer. And she joined the chorus at Apollo Theater in mm. Harlem. Mm -hmm. um, and then she spent some time traveling in Europe and performing there. One really uh, beautiful note is that during World War II, she toured with the USO as a member of the first all-black unit. So known for her dancing all over hundreds of uh, short musical films in the 1940s, she was featured on the cover cover of Ebony Magazine in yes. 1947, the month of March. So, I miss Ebony rest magazine. in power. Maybe. You miss what? I miss um, Ebony Magazine. Ain't it still around? Mm -hmm. Or only the online? I think... Nope, I, what it I, used to I, be. I, I said what I said. Um. Yeah, I said what I said. I mean, what I said. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. And BET too. Ooh, Miss Ailey. Child. I yeah. Miss Ailey. So yeah, Making that's Miss Lady the... Mabel Lee. Oh, so she passed on February seventh of this year oh. at a rich year of ninety-seven years young. Ooh, yes, rich, opulent, mm -hmm. opulent. Mm -hmm. Love it. So thank All you, right. Miss Mabel Lee. I just realized I could have put some sugar in this. Um, I like chia pudding too. So much <laughs> chia seed pudding. It's gonna be like eating ASMR. a snack. <laughs> ASMR. You know, some people are gonna like turn it off and then mukbang. Quiz. <laughs> Did you see that video of that woman with the nails and the and yes makeup? and the pickle? Um, no. You didn't see the pickle one. No. You didn't see the. Oh my god. Okay. So apparently this woman she gets on the thing and if you she has like a really high power mic and she gets on and she like makes sounds to the mic and she basically whispers into it so she's like Oh is this what Janet Jackson did? <laughs> I'm gonna need Was you she, <laughs> I'm gonna need you to not. Hey Janet. Shout out to Janet Jackson. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the podcast. Let me just go ahead and make sure I edit that out. Anyways, I'm gonna send it to you in our private lives. Okay. Um Yeah, so um, we are really joining in this week um, to talk about Black Healing Month as a imagination practice for us to think about what other things we could do during February, which we have considered Black History Month. Mm -hmm. I believe that with this conversation, um, I would like to say that studying and knowing our black history is a form of healing so mm -hmm. it is it's, it'll be a part of it it wouldn't be an an aside or a move away from it'll be just a bigger fleshing out of other things that we could be doing in, during this month along with knowing and practicing knowing our history this is um something that i started posting about kind of flippantly honestly when i thought about what um black history month is and what i was seeing during that time and i felt as though at that time it was the fifth when I posted my first thing and it was only four days in at that point and um I felt like the steam for Black History Month had already like fizzled out I was like mm -hmm. we oh. just started and 
Uh, now we've done moved on to the football situation. Now we're talking about award shows. Hey, I just realized I texted you about like, so what are we doing today for Black Healing Month? And you never text me back. I didn't have an idea at that time. It actually came on way later that day, and I posted something. But yeah, I didn't have I didn't have one. <laughs> um, so what it's become is like it's it's become like a practice for me to like every day or at least over the next few days just think about what are some things that I personally need to heal from, and then also um, what <clears> I believe <throat> the Black community in America could use um, for us to make a collective healing effort to heal from and it is expanded into like many many different things so I'm kind of going to use those posts and some of the things that I wrote as conversation um, initiators for us but I would like to first open up and and just ask what what do y'all think um, a concentrated month or a, a concerted effort of a month towards healing for black people could look like or what you might want to include in it do we want to narrow it into the dance world or just as I think or broad? I think it's I think it, or how we move through. Hmm. I don't I don't really have a preference yeah. either way. I don't I don't know if it has to be dance specific. I know we we're gonna get there. So Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I just want oh go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just gonna say I appreciate you bringing this to the forefront because I think we a lot of us don't <clears throat> think about it in this way. Mm-hmm. And it's actually work to think about, okay, what am I going to do today to work toward my healing and all the different ways that that can look. Even like for something I, I, I write every morning and it's, I, I sort of feel, I notice and feel when I don't write because mm-hmm. there's like a lot of information that's in my brain that gets caught up and starts to loop and cycle where some, there's something about writing that helps me um, make sense of some of the things that are going on. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I don't know where that was going, but I do know that one of my um, healing practices that now I'm really being clear about is the writing. And it's just free-form writing. And I love also writing in code, just in case it does get picked up by somebody. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not trying to have no Basquiat moment or (laughs) uh, Jerome moment where all of a sudden your journal's sitting in behind a case and stuff. It's Mm -hmm. like, that was never the intention. So, well, I don't know, Jerome, maybe that was his intention. I don't know. But, yeah. For me and Vermont, yes. Um, <laughs> I like to sing out loud. Yeah. Okay. You know, It'd be like me, 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 early in the morning, because mm-hmm. um, there's just so much space, and why not sing with the birds? Mm-hmm. Wait, outside, inside, uh, inside, outside. I love uh, as I'm going to different spaces on campus. I sing out loud. Have a whole concert sometimes. Um, what are you singing? Oh. What am I singing this semester? Um, nice by Beyonce and Daisy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I got some Latin music in there as well, you know, so I could be bilingual. All right. Um, <laughs> Celia Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm Celia Cruz. Yes. Um, yeah, that's how I like to start. Yeah. I mean, I always have like a song of the day mm-hmm. and just carry that with me throughout. Because, you know, going to an all-white school can be stressful. Yes. And this is my first time being around a whole bunch of white people in one space. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, think so, we really, yeah. I think we really underestimate the kind of daily stress it is to be in those environments. Not because the simple fact of being in those environments is just like, it's not just being black in a white space and that in and of itself is stressful. It's like all the microaggressions, all the way the cultures clash and then, then the the dominant culture is the one it's presumed to win essentially like oh this is what we do over here so it's time for you to assimilate to our culture as opposed to whiteness not assimilating to the black cultures and black mm-hmm. spaces and um 
Yeah, and I think what when we need to get away from those things where we need to like take some time to get some space, it is a form of healing, not just like a petty thing. I think some people might think it's just like a petty thing. I'm like, nah, it's not petty. Like, this shit is stressful. I know. I've been, when I've been in situations like that, I've um, well, ugh, I was just one recently that I was just like, am I? No, I'm just gonna have the narrative <laughs> that I live in a parallel universe or alternate universe where what I'm looking at right now is profound and everyone else thinks it's profound and I'm just the only one who thinks it's a whole bunch of shit. It's garbage. <laughs> and that's okay. It's okay that everyone is uplifting this thing and, and trying to intellectualize it, but I don't understand. And when I'm in moments like that too, I'll sometimes just hold my hand out and look at it. And just remember, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I'm black. Yeah, yeah. Cause sometimes I mean we don't I don't think I don't I don't know I don't I don't walk through the world all the time like black 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 I'm no. black I, this is my existence I live this way yeah. there are obviously moments that trigger like oh yep oh yeah I um it wasn't the front of consciousness now it is or it is and I think we just live with it we live with the constant awareness of of it especially when we're in predominantly white spaces especially mm-hmm. right because my school we only have like less than ten of us. Mm-hmm. So mm. we be holding it down together. Yeah. I love to bring in comedy because I just Oh, that's that. such a healing form. That is a healing form. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've been on my comedy um, special games before hey. I go to bed. Yes. Amanda Seals is really good. I watch. I haven't seen it yet. You should. <laughs> I love Amanda. How dare you? Yeah. How, How dare you? not prepare for our guests like this. <laughs> Um, now the comedy is a, is a really special thing. Laughter, really, like you know, scientifically proven, like the vibrations from laughter help heal our cells and 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 incentivize them to regenerate. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, okay, so one of the first posts that I did for Black Healing Month, and I think we can just like kind of go through the posts, mm-hmm. is that I say, can we change Black History Month to Black Healing Month, where yep. we take naps? Yeah. Yes. Go on vacations. Yes. Get a checkup. Yeah. Start therapy. Mm-hmm. And spend the day with our children. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think I'll actually add the next one. And and I thought about, like, um, how Kwanzaa is set up. Like, every day has a principle and has mm-hmm. a focus. And I was like, maybe we can separate the four month, the four weeks of February into, like, concerted things. So I said, for Black Healing Month, I think we should focus each week with an intention that ends with the celebration on the weekend, like Kwanzaa. And week one is celebrating our history, our ancestors, and our elders. Week two, celebrating loving <coughs> and centering our black women. Mm-hmm. Week three, celebrating and acknowledging our black queer and trans folk. And week four, celebrating and enriching our black children. And I uh, said, I think black cis hetero men should be should form local communities and meet bi-monthly to plan these, plan these celebrations so that the labor planning the celebrations and the events are not on us. You know what? <laughs> in addition to that, we may actually have to move it to another month that has more weeks in it because I would love a week that... Um, Melanie, what? think about that statement before you continue. What? A month that has more weeks <laughs> than four. Time is a, listen, I'm going to say like I said before, time is a construct and okay. what we exist in as a as a system has been set up like it's not been here forever. Yeah, okay? Right. Okay. Because I need a week where we talk about black futures. Facts. Mm-hmm. So, Ooh. fine then. Let it let it bleed into March. Uh, I don't right. care, but I'm like, let let it you, stop being mean to me. I just I did not want you to go through Telling the world and our four million listeners <laughs> <laughs> that you out here thinking that there are months that have more weeks than four. I just wanted you to oh, know. Oh, no, I'm, I'm questioning the whole construct of, of months. Pisces. Mm-hmm. That's the Pisces part of y'all of it. Yeah. Yep. Um, I am. Just 
So yeah, what do you what what are some things that you would like to do during a Black Healing Month that would be really healing, or not even just for you, but also you think that we may need to do as practices during this month, like through the whole twenty eight days? I can tell you what I'm do- doing. Get time off from work. Yeah, I can tell you what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, first, mm-hmm. I have a day. Um, I've actually had to like actually systemically plan it. I have a day every week where I don't leave my apartment. It's my cocooning mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. and I watch cartoons. I mean, yeah. I can do work, and yeah. I do do I do work, but it's I also space. I do 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 work, but it's also a space to sort of like rejuvenate, take care of myself, take naps, and really just like. Also, I'm, I'm a bit of an outgoing <laughs> introvert, so I need to recharge in that yeah. way. And so, yeah. understanding what I need um, is very important. What days are that? Or day. Um, it shifts depending on what the week load is. Yeah, so wow. it's, but I actually put it on the calendar. It'll say, Melanie, don't schedule this day. Free day. Mm-hmm. Put it in there. Cause then otherwise I'll sit there and schedule stuff on it. And I tried to, I did that once. And then the two things that I planned fell through and I was like, all right, yeah. I, I've been warned. Mm-hmm. You want, said you wanted this and now you pushed it. Mm-hmm. I also want to offer for people who, um, who reju- energized by being around people that maybe that there needs to be a day that you can set aside that specifically that you spend with a particular person or people's like um for my extroverted friends i'm like okay instead of being in the house because i'm a cocooning person that helps me if you get it your life by being around other people you can say on this day you you get out and you go visit friends and you 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 socialize to get you to get yourself recharged but mm-hmm. like a, a concentrated day been to not been to um purpose for recharging or whatever way that means, means for you. Because yeah. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I do the cocooning thing too. Mine is typically Fridays, and that's partly because I teach on Saturdays, and I it's a very it's a very teaching is such a big practice intense. of mine that I love, yeah. and it's and it's intense. I teach five classes back to back, so it's like, mm-hmm. and I love my students. I love everything that I do, but along with that, like I, in order for me to be my best teacher, I need to have prepared myself and handled myself so that when I can show up, I can really be there for them. It's a huge emotional investment. I think sometimes people underestimate the amount of energy that it takes to walk through the world, particularly in busy cities. Like, oh, yes. Um, it has, mine has been on Fridays, and then I realized I went to a show Friday night, and I was not ready to be out in the world. Like, I did not yeah. transition very well. Because, like, to not be around people and then choose 7 o'clock to all of a sudden be around yep. all the crazy... Mm-hmm. It's not a good look. On a Friday night? Yeah. Listen, in New I, York? yeah. I was like, what is going on? I was so on high alert. I was like, okay, I did not plan this well. Well, on Saturday nights, it's similar in New York City. Like, as the weather gets warmer, the festivities get a little bit more exuberant. So I try my best to like just stay on the train from the Bronx to Brooklyn as opposed to like getting off in the city and trying to do something. Because once I get into the city, it's like... I, I'm really shell shocked about what the hell's going on. Everybody's in line for things. There's parties, there's clubs, there's smoke, and not the thing that really hits me is walking through so much cigarette smoke. Uh, I, hate I'm, it. I'm I try to hold my breath. Can I? Just, can I just say, hey, cigarette smokers, why y'all walk so damn fast? It's like I try to <laughs> outwalk you, walk past you, and it's so fucking hard. <laughs> like, what is going on? Yeah, and then the smoke be all in the baby's face. It too. do, right? I'll be feeling all bad. I would like for our, I mean I, this is this is probably a little presumption. You know, attack me if you want to. You can email at the Dance <laughs> Union Podcast at gmail.com if you don't like what I'm about to say. Um, but I would like for the black community to heal from um, smoking cigarettes. Yes, because there was Come a concerted now. effort for um, cigarette companies to market directly to black people to to kill us. I mean, let's just start right there. Look at the ad, y'all. Look at the ads. Ad say so. It say so. Um, I I think along with that, I would like for us to smoke some weed. So all right, okay, and don't and don't don't put tobacco in it. Like it's like okay. 
just who is doing that? Well, I know some yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It'd be nasty. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me. Like I know right away on the first hit because it like it feels like I got throat punched. Like, okay. Um. So along with that smoke weed, and also, um, <laughs> I think there was oh shit. I was this. Oh, advertisements. So I can talk about advertisements. I think it'd be really important for Black people to. Um, download programs on like their Chrome and things like that that block ads. Because I can tell you one thing, I didn't realize that I wasn't seeing ads until I randomly saw a commercial one day. So I have some software that blocks ads, especially some of the websites that I go to that you should not, that that allow you to watch things for free. Not porn. I'm saying um, like, I watch a lot of shows from like um, overseas or I don't have internet or I don't have cable so I like kind of quote unquote pirate it. So those websites often have a lot of ads and pop-ups so I download a lot of those things to prevent that from happening. Then I realized I blocked all ads. So I wasn't seeing ads on social media. I wasn't seeing ads on my computer and then one day I like turned on the TV and I saw a commercial and I was like, and I really saw it for kind of like what it was. It was like, it was louder. It was extremely direct. It was trying to make me feel as though I needed the thing when I knew I did not need a Ford F-150. And it was like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was like, It's right. tricky, right? Because yeah. it's like, I always have a, a like love-hate relationship with ads because that was what my undergrad degree was in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm completely against ads and I work in an advertising agency. How do I reconcile this? Yeah. So, and then shifting with another um, space and group of people who are like, actually, it can be more about storytelling. So, yeah. I don't know. Ads are things. So you, um, made me, you reminded me of something as mm-hmm. you were um, feeding your face, is that um, we can use uh, food as a form of healing. Okay, I'm gonna, okay I want to jump to the deep end. Google Dr. Sebi, S-E-B-I, and, and look at some of the foods that he recommends or actually pre- just said that we should not eat as uh, people, and specifically people of color. It's alkaline list. And I just, Am I going to like this list? No, because um, it, it says no meat. That's the first thing. Wow. And it's about, it because what he says and what he's learned, it really, it's not just what he says, it's really proven fact that... Um, Medically, a lot of our, our diseases come from having an excess amount of mucus in our body. Mm-hmm. So he practices, um, he found a lot of foods that pr- that keep mucus production down or just doesn't produce mucus and said that we should only eat those along with alkaline or alkalinic diet. Um, and without the mucus, a lot of diseases just naturally die, like cancers and HIV and AIDS and so many things. And he was targeted by the U.S. government for finding these things. And essentially, like at this point, we know that he was killed because he found a way to cure a lot of incurable diseases just by using food. So I said for black people to go in. And as I was sick and food poisoning last night, my mother reminded me that I have this practice of eating garlic when I feel sick. And she yeah. said, remember, Dr. Sebi says, like, garlic is really good for black people. And I was like, you are right. So let me go back and, like, kind of re-up and do another lesson for myself. But I think in general, just in food, and I don't think we have to, I'm not because I don't think. It will be a journey to get to that full, you know what I mean, like the full dietary practice that Dr. Sebi recommended. But I would say to go in there and look at what you are kind of already doing and boost up the quantity of it or figure out things that you can actually put away and notice how having less of a mucus influence, a mucus-filled diet can change just the way that your body moves. Like mm-hmm. like fluid in the knee is mucus. So like you have knee mm-hmm. problems, reducing that can help knee mobility, all these things. You keep saying mucus. I just It's not a good thing for your body to have. Okay. Yeah. So o- overall, like food as a, as a as a health okay. practice, as a photo, as opposed to just like filling the stomach, because I think we also well, our history, our ancestors who were enslaved in this country were denied a lot of food options and 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 actually eating a full meal. So as a way to combat that, we went into like making sure that we ate 
on a regular basis and ate fully. You know what I mean? I think that's natural at, from coming from that kind of trauma. But now that we've had generations of doing that, I think we should start to look at food as not just the thing to fill our stomachs and make sure that we're not going to go into starvation and go into like, so how do we use food as a healing practice? Did I tell you about this whole uh, salt shaker curse? What's that? The Ooh, whole about that. So it was like an anthropological study that talks about how a lot of the uh, slaves who were transported here that survived have a gene that allowed them to retain a lot of salt in their body. Because if you think about it, being on those ships and stuff, you sweat a lot and then mm. you, you lose a lot of sodium, right? Is that why they was licking them too? Licking them? Yeah. Who was licking them? The white people. I the didn't, white men. I didn't know that they were licking them. Yeah, they uh, used to lick them because of the whole the salt. Salt? Well, that's Ow. okay. That's news to <laughs> That's news to me. So, so yeah, so then what happened is that we are descendants from those folks who were able to retain a lot of sodium and salt. Now, fast forward to now, um, hypertension, high blood pressure is huge in the black community. Yeah. And it's coming from the fact that this, this gene or this heredity that actually allowed our ancestors to survive yeah. is actually killing us now yeah. because we have more easily access to uh, table salt. And uh -huh. everything a lot of us eat has all this processed um, salt in it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was um, this amazing article I read in undergrad about, like, this. they call it the salt shaker curse. Wow. Hmm. I would love to find that. I'm sure I can find it. I have a, a, yeah, and I can, it's in one of my books. That's wonderful. I think along with the, the um, salt thing is we have to really understand that there are, not every place is New York where we can, we can live in a food desert where people who have mobility issues or, and, and don't have the funds to actually just get on a train without breaking the, the quote-unquote law and jumping into her style to get somewhere, that getting out of your neighborhood to find food is more difficult than it is for us in New York. So, like, for me, I don't really shop at the grocery stores that are around me because they just don't have the foods that I really need or the prices mm -hmm. are way higher than they need to be. And I understand that capitalism is to blame for that. But I get on the train and I spend 30 minutes to maybe 45 minutes um, both ways to go to Trader Joe's or go to Whole Foods um, in downtown Brooklyn to get the foods that I need. Um, but I all, every time I do that, I'm reminded about all the, the elderly people who have mobility issues that that's the issue for them. That may not be easy. So that's they live in a food desert by, by that problem. But then also in other um, parts of middle America, not coastal places or not larger cities, that family dollar and um what's that other it's, it's also owned by the same dollar tree or dollar, dollar general. general all of them it's all one company now they all that one oh. company bought all of them Eek. out um they are per they are purposely placing their stores in places that are already nearing food desert um situations and destabilizing the the what do you call it the economics of that area by breaking their prices so low that the community flocks there and they stop going to grocery stores so then grocery stores close down. So after a couple of years, there's only Dollar Generals in like 5 to 10 to even 15 mile radiuses. Unless you have a car or unless you have the time or the ability, you can't get out of that area. You can only go to the Family Dollar where there is no fresh fr produce. There's only freeze-fried stuff and everything is high in um, the, the chemicals that kill us essentially. Yeah. So it's another system of um, systematic racism. It's interesting because like there are two Dollar Generals in very close proximity in my country hometown. And I also know like where I and the season is bad, but whatever. I know where I can get the candy from from where? It's like you can get the Laffy Taffies from Dollar General, but if you want the bubble gum, you got to go to Family Dollar because mm. like there's a certain kind of bubble gum that I like. I see. <laughs> you know, and but you can get the ropes from um, Dollar General. Yeah. And I remember, do you remember a time? And Dollar Tree. And oh, Dollar they, got Tree. they got not good now later packs. I actually really. I, I'm, mm, this is just a personal thing, but I remember in Arizona, I remember looking at Dollar General Family Dollar as a little bit insidious, but only because I remember the 99 cent store. And I don't remember the 99 cent store being something that 
we went to to buy food Ooh. from. Mm-hmm. We go to Nine Nine Cent store to get like a mop or like household. a cheap. To ch- they got they things. got big food sections now. I mean, you could get everything from some sweatpants, yeah. to a box of macaroni. I would get like band- I would get throwaway <laughs> things from Nine Nine Cent store because it's only Nine and Nine some Nine Air Force Nine. ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And Nine Nine Cent store would live right next door to a major grocery store. Like it'll be like a little aside. Oh, so yeah. for now, to see that Family Dollar and, and all that that corporation. Destabilizing that, I'm just like I'm, oh I would love to go. Not love to, unfortunately, but I know I would like to go back and see if those grocery stores are still alive anymore. Because mm-hmm. Arizona is one of those places where public transportation is not reliable at all. Mm-mm. So you and 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 a lot of times the grocery store, which is relatively close for most people who have a car, is a good mile walk away. Because where I grew up, we lived in a suburb, so you had to walk out through the maze to even get to the main street to get to the grocery store. That whole arranges a whole other conversation of, of mm-hmm. ecosystems, of like having to go through a maze to get out. Yep. Um, ooh. Yeah. Back um, to black healing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all there. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think healing from those things is, is I think, I think, I think protest is also a form of healing. And, and when, what when kind of protest? Protesting ooh, and saying, oh, what kind of protest? Yeah. I think knowing, um, by speaking up and doing the thing that what does Zora Neale Hurston say, where it's like, if you, um, if you stab me and I don't cry, I'm gonna I'm quoting this terribly. But if you okay. stab me and I don't cry, then um, you kind of get away with it. But if I stab me, if you stab me and I cry, like I'm I'm protesting and letting you know that this shit hurts. Okay. So I think when we get up and we point out the the problems in our communities are necess- and, and things like that and ask and demand necessary change, that is us taking our healing into. That's I think one of the first steps is saying that we recognize that there's a problem and we want it to be fixed. And I think a lot of a lot of what we notice from some of us that we can call ourselves enlightened or woke or all this other stuff in our neighborhoods is that we kind of walk around and we see a lot of the oppression putting people in such a um, day-to-day I have to make it in survival mode that they're not able to see that the McDonald's that they're spending their money at and the Family Dollar and all these other places that they're Mm -hmm. um, going to as being um, not helpful for them because they honestly like they they can't think past that like it's that's how the system has worked for them. This is pretty scary too because like you know I heard from a friend yeah. But, like, a meal at McDonald's now is, like, $12. Where? A meal at McDonald's. I- oh, in the United States, yes. Of yeah. America, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, McDonald's was expensive in Mexico. I'm confused, though. Yeah. What? Why? I don't know, sis. Yeah. I mean, I only like their fries. Same. I only like their apple pies. Because they don't use high fructose corn syrup in it. I know they probably use other chemicals that are bad, but I, I do like their smoothies. I, I will say they're uh, that that um, snack size McFlurry. Do you All see right. what we're doing we just, here? Do you yeah. see what we're doing here? Okay. That's the brainwashing. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and see, but we're we're look modeling, modeling, right? Modeling and unlearning. <laughs> what happens? So yeah, I think protesting as a form of like just saying this is the shit that I don't like in the system is is the first step to saying like the healing process of making change. Um, can we also say like uh, finding a finding a community that also agrees? I feel like solo protests can be a little difficult and very, draining, very. but that finding folks that also agree with you and that mm-hmm. together you can do that yeah. is helpful. And I've also learned that like through the beautiful use of technology that I think most Americans have access to in their phone, or not technology, internet access that most people have on their phones, is that Googling like a very niche protest or a niche community that's fighting for this thing, I found someone or like a fairly large group of people who are doing it. Like just now um, in the other episode um, when Helen was here talking about. That won't be the other the episode. The body. C-A-E? That'll be before. C-A-E. That'll be after. 
C-A-E. Look, we don't record these episodes in order. Linear. And they're not linear. Because we don't believe in linear time constructs. Linearity? Linearity. I'm going to name my daughter Linearity. Linearity. Get over here, Linearity. Linear. I'm going to be the worst parent. Let I'm gonna off. be I'm gonna be the parent in um in the Spider Universe where he dropped off uh, Miles at the school. He was on the intercom like, "Tell me you love me." I know. Say you love me. I was like, so glad that <laughs> happened. That's gonna be me. Okay, now we're here. We need to talk about what um what fatherhood and fathering children looks like in a black community. And I would say first, I want to already noticed the elephant in the room talking about like we have absentee fatherism and it's, it's an epidemic that's hurting our community actually it's not black fathers are actually statistically proven to be the one of the most involved fathers of all demographics and also some of the ones that are most present in the home so we have the um at, throughout our society of all demographics there's a problem with absentee fatherism so it's a patriarchal yes. problem not yes. a black problem yes. but along with that how we father our children i think is something that we should definitely talk about and i think going into um, encouraging and incentivizing fathers to being more emotionally available and vulnerable with their children, um, as opposed to being the trying to occupy the tough parent one. Like I'm going to get you ready for this hard, cold world, which is my father occupied. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's something that can really help heal and and kind of break the cycle of men not being able to access their emotions when they get to a certain age or get to um, or when they get to outside of the home. Yeah, I'm my daddy was amazing. That. Your daddy was amazing. Thank you. He. Yeah. Is he gone? Yeah. He? Oh, okay. Yeah. But he was the parent that they would call when we would act up in school. Ah. Because they had his number on speed dial. Oh. Wow. Your father mm-hmm. was the community father in a way. Yeah. And he was like part of the PTSA and PTSA? all that. PTSA? Parent, Student, Teacher Association. Ah, yes. Wow. My, none of my schools had those. Uh, so yeah. I grew up in the inner cities. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And when we had freaking book fair day, he was the one that would take me to my book fairs. Dang. <laughs> Did your father have sons? No, I think that's also another factor. Too I'm not good. not to not to. I just I, I guess what I'm saying I would like to know how your father would have responded with his sons, because hmm. I noticed that my father was extremely emotionally available to my sisters. Oh, he wasn't emotionally available. Okay, okay, let's no, no. cool. My dad was very emotionally <laughs> available and and albeit like just generally softer and kinder, nurturing to our sisters as opposed to my brothers and I. Like the same problems, like the crying and like this is going on. My dad was like, oh, okay, we'll figure it out and like talk and to us be like. Wipe them tears off your face. Stop crying. Like, you'll be over it. Like, like toughen up, man up, all that yeah. stuff. Huh. That's interesting. I, I, I shouldn't say my dad wasn't emotionally available. But I'll say that, like, we would, like, try to hug him and give him kisses in public. He's like, y'all don't get off me. Go on, get. You know, so we would we purposely. You have a southern ass him. Go on, get. Y'all don't get. G-I-T. So, yeah. So, we would, like, purposely, like, do that to make him uncomfortable. Because, like, he just, but he came from a um, non, um, uh, what is it, affectionate family. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's hard. My, my father did too, and I get I like looking back now. I know that he did a really great job of like unlearning that and getting to where he's at because where he started at was like, you know what I mean. And understanding that that need to be less affectionate was a huge necessity for some black communities. Yes. Like with all the shit and the trauma that they had to deal with. Yeah, like this is a, this is a coping mechanism. Yeah. So I, I think along with that is, um, as we're talking about what we can do and change, I think we need to talk about the environment, the context that we're living in. Yeah. I was living, living, I was reading and listening to um, 
Brene Brown, I'm, I think I'm going to be like the biggest advocate for Dr. Brene Brown and her work because I think it's really comprehensive. But she was on um, Pod Save the People talking to DeRay McKesson, and they were talking about uh, trauma and vulnerability and things like that. But mm-hmm. we talked about black mothers and um, trauma and stuff like that because she learned through her research that black mothers are one of the, um, the biggest demographic in her research that says that they feel like they cannot be vulnerable, especially when it comes to raising oh, yeah. their children. That's why I started therapy. Right. So she, okay, I can see that. Yeah, and what part of what they're saying was like, I can't be vulnerable, vulnerable because vulnerability means death, and that means like just a direct correlation. If I'm vulnerable, oh. then somebody or I will, I'll die. And Dr. Brene Brown had to realize that like, what what people are saying when they say that I cannot be vulnerable at this moment is saying that the environment in which I live in is like a briar patch. I have to Google briar patch. I don't really know that. Oh. I feel like it's a white thing. Apparently, it's a bunch of thorns. Yeah, and, and it's a patch. Mm-hmm. It's like the Lion King. Yeah. When, okay. So, um, yeah. Okay. So, t- for the people who didn't know, um, so it's like being in a briar patch and, and being a turtle in a briar patch. I got to stay in my shell to protect myself as I move around. So, mm. if you're telling me that I need to be vulnerable now through your research and stuff like that, as it's going to save me, yeah. you, you're missing the, the point in which I'm actually living in an environment that mm-hmm. I am at risk of death and at risk of complete demise if I am to take off the shell. So, the first thing that Dr. Brene Brown learned when she went to therapy with her therapist, was um, when she was talking about like, oh, you know, eating is a problem for me and stuff like that. And the therapist was like, get out of the briar patch first. I, all of this stuff that I'm giving you as, as like therapy things and practices are for when you get out of the briar patch. So get out of the, um, the, the, the um, abusive household or abusive relationship or, you know what I mean? Like a lot of children and younger folks and even queer folks, like sometimes coming out is not the best thing to do if you're living with a family that you know is homophobic. So get out of the environment before you go into that vulnerable space. So mm-hmm. along with all of this, getting out of the, the context of danger and or assessing if you are in the context of danger first, it'd be great before you start to do something like be extremely vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so along with that, I'm actually realizing with all of my posts that a lot of this is just dream work and imagination work as if the world was, uh, was as... Um, clear or as healing or as like um affording privileges and opportunities as it is specifically for me because from my perspective i'm looking at like wow i am not in poverty like i was when i was younger i'm Mm -hmm. not in an abusive household i'm not in these spaces so here's here are the things that i can do at this moment so um what i'm thinking of for myself is that i should take these privileges that i have and try to do and make um the environments in which people live a little bit better so that it's not a briar patch or help move people out of those briar patches for themselves. And and to, to help people move is kind of through education and letting my students know that here are some tools and tricks to, to get you up out of this area while you're in it. Learn these things now while you're in this place so that when you get out of this training program or out of this age that is a childhood, you can get to an adult and be out of it. Is that your fathering? I think I think I'm practicing fathering as a as a teacher for sure. I'll parenting. say sadly, I was practicing my mothering with some boyfriends that I shouldn't have been doing that with. So, <laughs> nope, 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 so nope, be nope. careful. Um, are y'all cold? It's chilly no. in here. No, probably you anemic. That's what I'm thinking. Something. Yeah. It's something like that. So I'm gonna eat my breakfast. Okay. Three. Uh. <laughs> yeah, you also you know your your stomach's probably getting all that blood flow and being like, let me have it. Um, so what else, Ricardo? Yeah. What's good with you? What else are some healing things that you do? Oh, I take naps every single day. Black Power Naps, hashtag every day. Coaster. Check them out. I do not do nobody's homework on Saturday. <laughs> I'm hanging out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, what else do I do? What else? 
Actually, I'm really interested to know what you do in your um, in your relationship with Orlando as two dark skinned same gender loving black men. Oh, for to like as, a, as healing, like as what, healing? like what parts of that relationship um, and how you share with us your relationship. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, because I, I say no, I say that very yes. clearly. Like you, like anytime we get a peek into your relationship, is you sharing with uh-huh. us. Like, how do you use that as, uh, or how are you learning and healing and practicing healing in that relationship? Oh, I think for us as a couple, we, I think it's maybe because I'm in school, the time away from each other Mm. to cultivate our individual identity is some healing practices as well. And then once we're like feeling full, we're able to connect to each other much deeper. Mm -hmm. Um... I find us traveling together is very healing mm. mm-hmm. because we do experience um, racial microaggressions when we travel. And sometimes it could be on Orlando or myself, and we just need to be there to support each other. Like mm-hmm. in Mexico, we were stopped. We were looking for directions on the corner, and the police officer was like, let me see your pockets. And I was like, what's going on right now? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was in those moments where one of us is feeling overwhelmed the other one have to like step in and mm-hmm. be like look because traveling by yourself i don't know what that's like but i'm sure in those moments i'm sure it would be hard to get it together yeah hmm. um, uh, he cooks oh i'm a cook down <laughs> cooks down um and some of the some of the works that you've created you've addressed mm-hmm. many different kinds of um Oppressive forces, generally, mm-hmm. and I think it's the intersection could arguably be the black and same gender loving identities, mm-hmm. um, specifically with like How to Survive a Plague and um, Afro Solo Men. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the main two works that like stand out in my mind when I think of Brotherhood Dance. Yeah, How to Survive a Plague. We well, the piece is about um, folks who passed away from the HIV/AIDS epidemic and looking at. Uh, the gap that is missing with mm-hmm. black artists in the field and that kind of mentorship. Yeah. Um, but we were also looking like, what does two dark skin men look like touching each other? Yeah. Just a simple gesture, touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and dancing together, which is, comes at the end um, with joy. But um, And also just taking care of each other. Yeah. That's just a powerful image in itself. Um and that's one of my favorite pieces, too. That's definitely my favorite piece. I think that's the closest we've ever been with each other. Hmm. Yeah. In the making of the piece. In the making of the piece. Yeah. Yeah. I can say, though, like, just my personal life, um, I I feel like I'm learning a lot about how I can love another black person, mm-hmm. black man specifically, or black male-identified person, um, from just, like, witnessing YouTube. Because mm-hmm. there's... there's I have a closer proximity than most people would just by like seeing your Instagram. But I think just even if we were to just isolate the images that we get to see and the mm-hmm. works that we get to see of yours, that by sheer example and modeling that we are learning um, that one is really, really okay. And some of the taboos just begin to wash away when it comes to like providing physical affection to another black mm-hmm. man. But I think another thing for people who may not also identify as a black man, but like black women, black children, stuff like that, that, um, it's it's something that it's a it feels of healing and it feels as though not just the people who are a part of it are healing but the people who are witnessing like black children and black women and, and anybody who doesn't identify as a black man um, 
it's healing their own preconceived notions of what a black man should and should not do or what they should and should not do with one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this is why we should say shout out to dance because sh- yeah. I think, especially the way all of our, our works and forms work, is that we are using it as a form to sort of investigate some things, some cultural norms and things that are going on in our lives. And then that stuff sort of it manifests and comes out into the world and how we actually treat each other in life. Mm-hmm. And I think some people don't have the the luxury to sort of unpack things in the way that we are able to in, in our work and then have it sort of show up in the world. Yeah. Because like you're saying, those are, and it's good. So to me, even there sounds like there's healing in the process of the making and the discovery and mm-hmm. the questions and the curiosities that you are having. There's there's healing in the witnessing and mm-hmm. being able to see it modeled. And also, you know, we are becoming the archive. Like we are becoming yeah. um, a part of the thread that's a part of that sort of conversation. So what does that look like? And yeah. Yeah. Especially in um, in the art making, because part of what I notice about us in the room is that we don't really subscribe to the idea of black exceptionalism. That the idea that just because we get opportunities and make work and get like platforms that are that are pretty amazing and like you know funds that are pretty amazing, that that in and of itself doesn't make us um, an exception to this rule that mm-hmm. that black people are down and destitute and impoverished and all this other stuff. It's like. I am I am with all of my black brothers and sisters mm-hmm. and and black people, um, and I'm I'm doing this work in service for and with, as opposed to like do like me and pull up yourself by your bootstraps and get out. So I would just like to have a little like if we can transition into talking about what black sex, black exceptionalism is and kind of looks like in dance, and some of the ways that we can move away from it because I have it I'm I get I have a big chip on my shoulder when it comes to seeing it at this point. Like I just I really want to keep continue to point it out. I can tell. All right, look. Uh- because I mean, I I mean actually it's funny. I'm it, uh-huh. yeah. What I've done. Like? What it what? What does it look like in the field? Yeah, well, I'm just saying like it's, you brought it up a couple times now, and I'm mm-hmm. just like actually I haven't been paying attention to mm-hmm. it in the way that it's sort of okay. been amplified to you. For so me. like I would love to hear um, what what it looks like and what how it's being sort of glorified. Yeah, I think what it looks like is um, I'm going to use. I'm going to use like some of the the current model of Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater as as a way to look at it because it it the idea that um that the body can be can do as much as it possibly can like I feel like Alvin Ailey dancers are asked to do as much as they possibly can with their body and as many different wide ranging things to say that look at what black people can do and I think that's great but it goes into like once if your body cannot do these things and you're also not exceptional. And to be exceptional means that there's there's safety, there's um, there is love and there's support, and there's like an escape from something. So then, when I see that, then turn, which I think is great to say, look at what we can do because we can do all things. Mm-hmm. But then, when it's turned back onto other Black folks and say, you not striving for this means that you are now beneath or that you are not afforded the similar opportunities. That's the part of Black exceptionalism, and it's a myth that it actually saves us. So the idea that like. Um, going to talk about the Jesse Smollett attack. The idea that like being a celebrity and having money is going to protect you from any kind of racism or um, or homophobic attacks is already like this idea of black exceptionalism. I made it out. No, you didn't make it out. It's like the same oppressive forces that are, that affect us who are not famous and wealthy or extremely talented or our talents are um, put on a platform in which white supremacy can make money off of doesn't necessarily save you because you are still subject to those same attacks that we are. 
And I think that's the part of black exceptionalism that I started to look at when I started to see celebrities talk about the shit that they're going through. And I'm like, oh, look, we're, we're starting to destroy the myth that you can be exceptional and escape this shit. Well, also, just to, um, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but just to say that whole story is also sort of expanding. I don't know if you really have recently heard. And, I, and this is where I'm not. at on this. I'm, I don't really trust most news outlets, yeah. and I'm not going to start it's, trusting them just because they're going to put a black man, a black gay man at the center of it. So right. I'm already skeptical. I'll just wait for concrete facts to come Yeah, up. that's what I'm saying. I'm like, yeah. I, I start, I'm starting to see some things unfold with it, and I'm mm-hmm. just like, I'll wait. Mm-hmm. I'll wait to see how this sort of comes out. But yeah. yeah, because, like, right, I, I already don't trust what y'all say when it comes to, like, regular shit. I'm not going to all of a sudden be like, ooh, CNN said that Jesse. Like, <laughs> what does that say about me? You know yeah. what I mean? It's it, like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't trust y'all when Ferguson was going, I'm not gonna trust y'all now that uh, somebody that I identify really closely with is now at the chopping block. Like I'm gonna just, I have to be just, I have to practice my same skepticism. Good. I have to. Good, good. And yeah. I think we should. Um, black to back, blah blah. Exceptionalism. Yeah, exceptionalism. Yeah. So like specifically in dance, I think it. What I also see is when when black artists make work that's talk about this quote unquote the black community or like the the block or some specific locale of blackness, neighborhood of blackness. And then what we only see is black heteroness black black hetero relationships. And middle class. And middle class um relationships or identities and not including folks who are also very present on the block, as myself was, as a black queer impoverished or person um who was under the the thumb and and uh, structure of in, in poverty um, and then also people who are doing kind of works and activities that we deem um, morally corrupt like being a sex worker or, or mm-hmm. being a drug dealer or being someone who's addicted to drugs or being someone who had to steal to survive and, the, and that's where black exceptionalism as it's saying that we are amazing because we found a way to use our talents and our knowledge to operate in a white supremacist capitalist society is like that's bullshit to me so it sounds like I feel like I mean I won't anyway that with this idea of black exceptionalism that there is a there has been a need and necess- a ne- like it was necessary for some a reason mm-hmm. right like obviously um, when you're you are in a society that says you ain't shit mm-hmm. that you need to celebrate and this is one of the ways to do it that but now what's what sounds like what you're saying is that we need to question the ways in which we're looking at it and who we're deeming as exceptional because you said it also is a form of exclusion and it doesn't take into account context or mm-hmm. the ways in which we can look at a lot of different things as being absolutely amazing in the ways in which people navigate so it's interesting because I don't I don't necessarily know that I am surrounded by a lot of also I I do a good job I think sometimes of um, cycling out those kind of narratives mm-hmm. like I never wanted to be an alien so I don't like I'm aware of it it's in my sphere but I'm not obsessed with it or I'm yeah. not always like you know I don't follow them I don't yeah. you know so I'm, I'm wondering if like it's also a saturation right now mm. perhaps. Um, because of the spaces that you occupy, also because you're in a space too where um, that that kind of conversation can come up a lot in terms of like resources and you know where careers are going and what that's looking like and how they pit people against each other. I mean that could be that that is that is a contextual thing, but I think even before alien dance became a thing for me, like the way that my parents pushed um, for us to be educationally astute was an idea of black exceptionalism, like. Really? Go go to school, get these grades. Like I had no option for B's in school. It was like A's were the only option. If I came home mm-hmm. with a ninety eight percent, we were questioning why I didn't get those other two percent kind of things. Oh. And part of it was pushed for like 
you get out of the scenario and you do your best. And I think my parents, of course, meant I think all of our parents mean it well. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that you need to work hard to be exceptional Mm -hmm. is part of the thing that says, like, you aren't really worth anything if you are not exceptional. I think that's the other part of the coin that is not really said but is heavily implied so that when we have um, members of our community who are not exceptional, think about the ways in which we talk about them and think about the ways in which we look and navigate around them. Like, I think even just the sheer fact that we are not trying to make a concerted effort to make sure people who are addicted or um, are suffering with the crack addiction are getting the help and need that they have is a part of us not really, of us kind of opting into the idea of black exceptionalism. Because we talk about, quote unquote, crackheads the way that we talk about, like, somebody who is damn near a joke, their existence is a joke to us. And I think if we could be laughing as a form of, like, identity and pain, and I think that's part of where comedy comes in, the knowledge brings in laughter, or we try to laugh at it to, like, to, um, to heal. But also at the same time, if we're not providing help and care, we're, we're throwing away members of our society. And I think the idea of, like, Black Lives Matter means that all lives of blackness must matter. doesn't matter whether you agree with their practices or not. We have to be fighting for everyone. And if we're not fighting for everyone, we're not really fighting for, um, we're not really practicing this idea of, like, being pro-black. So are you seeing the ways in which it's like um, fast forwarding to now and mm-hmm. that black exceptionalism is being sort of amplified in um, dance? I don't know if it's being amplified in dance in any way. I think where I'm notice I'm seeing is that I really notice it now and, I'm, I, and I, I have the language now to really point it out and, and share it with us with when as we make and create work in the ways in which that we can. So when I was at the show and I we had the talk back and I asked about um, this idea of the block that she created in her work, like where were the black queer people, where are the black um, trans people, where are the black sex workers, you know, I mean, just the people that were part of this block that most of impoverished black communities had there, like where was us factoring into it? And I think her answer and saying in which um, she was creating from experiences which she know, I think it's really authentic and honest. But the other part of that honesty is that you did not see us at that time or you don't see us currently. Because if I were to create um, something, create a world in which I say I inhabited and I don't include people who say who are like, hey, look, I was there. I was on the block and this is the code. Then you're saying that you didn't see then then I'm also saying that I didn't see you. And I think that's important for us to point out the places and the people in our community that are not being seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially when you have two queer dancers in your company, I'm like, how do you not see them on the block, sis? And what is their voice in the creation of the the block being on a concert stage and not telling their story, that they always have to go to the hyper-masculine male mm-hmm. performance, which is late. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Let's challenge these choreographers to give something new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, that's why, and that's, why I, that's why I look at Ailey a lot, because Ailey, along with, like... They say performing that. I want the, the boys to dance together. Not boys. The black men... In Ailey. In Ailey. Yeah. To queer it out. Yeah. Because I like the just when we talk about like just I just kind of like want us to like, do some games and challenge ourselves. Like when someone says black family, what do you come up with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or when someone says black love, what do you come up with? You know what I mean? And I think the some of the things that we want to challenge around black love, I think it's great because also when she saw black love and in and, and her household and paintings and stuff, it was like the damsel in the stress draped over this black man holding the world up on his shoulders. I've seen those pictures. You ain't seen those? <laughs> well, that's probably like a real like coastal thing. I don't know if it was a southern thing. 
but like in the nineties black explosion, <laughs> we had a lot of artwork of like this really muscular black man. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Holding up like a baby and the world the and the black fuck? woman is like draped over his knees. Uh-huh. So like, oh yeah. I mean, I get it, Tony. Yeah. Like that's like Stella got a group like that, yeah, that yeah. but that's not I mean, when you said black love, I immediately thought about my family and like mm-hmm. this huge matriarchal mm. it was a lot of women. I mean the men were there, but they were usually in somewhere sleeping. All right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and that's a matrifocal real. society. You you saying that your family was more of a matrifocal community. It's just a lot of women. We just mm-hmm. had, there's a lot of girls had women had women had women. So mm-hmm. the men just had to band together and just be in a very secluded part of the house. Mm. And um that's what they did. Yeah. It was great. I mean, you know. <laughs> I know, I think that, I think that's great. I really think that's great. So I mean it's interesting when you say like black family, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. it it expands, and even as you were talking about like the different people of the community and who we see and who we don't. I remember when I worked worked at a gallery, I had a relation not a relationship like a friendship with a homeless guy because he would come in, talk to me about art all the time, and he was actually uh, a PhD person, and he grew up with a nanny, and he chose to be homeless because he was just so sick of the system, mm-hmm. and he actually saved uh, a hair salon because he happened to be walking by, and I think something sparked and a mm-hmm. fire started. Mm-hmm. Um, an electrical fire and he was the one who uh, called the police and kept that whole building from burning down so it, it was just like you know how you can sort of dismiss certain people in society and mm-hmm. who are very much a part of your community like, that is your community yeah. and he was really great about like he would give me th- like he gave me this big old sequin dress one time mm, that yes. he found and then I would like give him something so and there was like all these exchanges and trade offs yeah. and stuff yeah. that you know, you can't ignore or neglect. Am I a homeless white dude? No. But, like, if I'm going to talk about my block, he was in it. He was you in know? it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm thinking back at, like, as after I asked that question, I just kept thinking about being honest with myself and think about the people that I omitted from my idea of blackness in my black community and remind and to include them. I had a, I had a woman who was uh, addicted to crack who actually saved my life. There was a drive-by shooting that was going to happen um, down my block. Um, and the the corner that it turned, I was on a bike playing in the driveway when it came up. Like, this huge minivan comes spiraling up the thing. She pulled me off the bike to actually say, well, I would have been run over by that car had that woman not saved my life kind of thing. So if I continue to, um, like, be like, oh, like you're, you're a crackhead and all this other stuff. And not even a fourth in the general humanity of, like, seeing them. Like, just with my eyes, seeing them. And if they ask me for money and just giving them a human response of, like, no, I don't have it. Like that that little bit right there of us like staying staring and staring into our phones and avoiding eye contact and not responding to people like that right there is uh, it becomes a luxury in in a life where it's deprived. And I was at a McDonald's down my I keep saying my block, but anyways, it was on my block. Um, I was at McDonald's. I was ordering my little apple pie, um, and I I used that little that fancy little kiosk thing that they have now, and that. Right. Okay. But it was broken when I walked in and me and this man walked in or uh, he was already there. Sorry. But we walked over to it as a woman fixed it. I was ordering my thing. He was struggling with it, which it's not easy to use. I'm not going to like whatever my degrees that I have. This shit is a little complex. I'm scrolling (laughs) and trying to figure out where do I pay and all this other stuff. So I I figured out he's frustrated with it. The people refused to take his order at the counter. Why? Because they say that after a certain hour that you got to use the kiosks. Anyways, they refuse to take his order at the counter, and everyone is just denying his, like, existence at this point. And then he's even saying, shouting, like, y'all act like I'm not here. And I thought about it, and I was like, I, I, I can't imagine the kind of anger it feels like to walk through a world where people continue to deny your existence of just being physically planted in the same realm and playing to someone else. 
Yeah. This reminds me, like, I, I try to make a conscious effort even when I get annoyed with people who say, sorry to disturb y'all. I'm like, well, you're not sorry because you did it <laughs> um, first. But, like, on trains and stuff. Yeah. But it's like, I actually will put I'll put down what I'm doing to just look mm-hmm. and acknowledge. Like, I yeah. see you. I'm not going to give you any coins. I don't have it. But I, I do see you. Yeah. Or when people are playing on musicians. Because, like, the fact that, like, people are actually in this world doing things and... We and especially in New York, this this like mentality of ignoring and not seeing. Yeah. Uh huh. Go ahead. It, no, you. What? What? No, I just I was gonna agree with that of folks not seeing each other. Mm. It's really eye contact is so important oh, to me. So it's so frightening that we could do that. And I like I just saw Into the Spider Verse, and mm-hmm. like there was one moment where Spider Man was being like slapped all around the city and like uh-huh. slapping mm-hmm. up against a uh, car window, <laughs> and people were just like, yeah, not phased. And I was like, actually, and that's how it is. That's yep. how it is. Like people not even seeing each other's humanity yeah. anymore. And I think a a practice of working against the system, because really the system makes us so overworked that like it is it is exhausting actually to be aware of your surroundings in that way all the time. So I, yeah. when I see people on trains, specifically in New York, I I'm not trying to villainize them and saying like, oh, you're not seeing this man ask you for money. How dare you? It's like no, sis, I also get it. Whatever whatever overworked over like you got your seventy five percent of your income is going to just paying the rent mm-hmm. alone. Mm-hmm. You know right. what I mean? Like and that, you get on this train and you got to stand up for an hour and a half, right? Or or you got to get on this train and you just trying to listen to your little podcast, you're trying to listen to your little Mary J. Blige and hear this person come on <laughs> with an accordion and a boombox, wanting to twist and flip in your face, and now you're just trying to you're trying to sit still so that that they don't kick you accidentally, like you sneeze and next thing you know you get a foot upside your nose. Like, yeah, there's like so much sharing that has to happen in our in our society that yeah. we like and negotiating that has to happen, you know? Yeah, but I think so. Part of the healing thing I'm thinking is that if we can, if we try to, if we focus on healing ourselves. And when then, like the oxygen mask on first before you can put on anyone else, then we can begin to be able to help other people. I don't think there's an order, though. I would I kind of realize what I was saying that I don't think it has to be that those of us who are privileged and aren't in these um, environments or in this in this way of living should then heal ourselves, and then once we get healed, we can heal them. I think it's something that can happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. But I'm also noticing that part of the train idea is that it's hard to like give someone your attention when you are so overburdened with things going on in your life. Yeah. Like it like the the labor that it takes to do that is that much more exhaustive. I realize that I'm able to do it a lot better now but versus when I first moved to the city because I was way more stressed out when I first moved in to now like I'm managing my stress a lot better now. So now I can actually get up and see someone and be like, you know, I actually don't have an, I don't have any cash on me right now or I can like, you know, let me see what I have. Like just even like let me just check really yeah, cuz you I never mean, know I can find a dollar. Yeah. Like that and I but but long that I see the kind of like I see the honest appreciation in the person's eyes when I do something like that. And I think that's the part that I'm like, I can always afford that. I can always afford you my attention. Like, Ricardo, like what you said, like, eye contact is so super important. I think even, like you say, seeing people, it doesn't require a lot of energy. Mm -mm. You know, there's a lot lot of different ways. But it doesn't, you know what I mean? It does, but relative to, you know. Right. What? And I think just because this is a dance dance union podcast, um, part of the... I really started thinking about black exceptionalism when I, was, when I started to think about where I came from in dance. I didn't come from a place that we even championed having um, pointed feet and great ankles and extended lines and extensions. I came from a more like um, 
I wouldn't know Postmodern that. dance background. I, I picked up those things because I value that in my own practice, mm. not because the institutions I went what? to. What? No, it's real. Like, you look at the way I dance, you wouldn't assume that I came from institutions that um, were more like melt and more like moving research by design. Like, my Arizona oh, okay. State built their program off of the um, the concepts of melt and moving research. Okay. So we had technique classes that you didn't have to take. Like, you had, you could take, um, what do you call those things, somatic practices all three years, which yeah. was like Feldenkrais and contact improvisation and all that mm. other kind of stuff and completely skip ballet modern anything okay. else yes. i i personally said i want to do these things okay. and then i went out also outside of school to get the other technique that i wasn't getting from in school um but i was in those environments and i'm thinking about the youth that i purposely teach like i purposely want to teach in the bronx and in in brownsville and in east new york and those population students with dance because i believe that there is already enough amazing teachers going into these black studios and black middle class areas giving amazing black dance with the great hortons and the great dunhams and stuff like that mm-hmm. but i would like to take what i know and bring it to the students who may not even be interested in a dance career but know that they have a body and they can use it artistically as well so I bring in all that creative movement stuff in after school programs in these places purposefully. Like I only apply to those places because I believe that they are afforded that same kind of artistic practice as the students who can't afford it. Because when I was younger, I only went to um, free places to take dance class. I just couldn't afford to go to a studio. So when we talk about like dance in the city, like the Juilliard and LaGuardia and other kind of like artistic places that like either have donors that can sponsor a impoverished young youth who has great extension and flexibility or not, but like they are basically saying that their black excellence looks like a lot of black people who have a lot of privileges and access to things that most of us don't and we're going to champion and center them which they deserve it but along with that to help you know do the balance of like I'm going to take my knowledge I'm going to bring it into the community that I came from I would like to say though too it doesn't I don't feel like um, black excellence and black uh, exceptionalism are interchangeable mm. question though as as a, as a question that came up with um, at the talk back for Camille Brown show at Joyce one woman asked um when um when was when when you notice that you're a black because there was a point in in her first question that someone said that um they had this moment of like agony on stage of like like tearfulness on stage and it was a response to a question like when did you notice you're black so they physically responded it being like a very painful painful mm-hmm. experience so she was like okay so when did you notice that you're black and it was not like it was a joyful moment and things like that it was like a black excellence thing and that question wasn't answered in a way that i believe that we were really satisfied with because it was a form of black exceptionalism that kind of prompted my question um but it was one that i think about now and i think of black excellence is black excellence something that is only um champion when it's um used to say we are doing something despite the oppression or is it used to say like we are excellent by design i when i think of black excellence i think i feel like it's being used as like black excellent as in you are who you are these Mm. are your materials your context and your clues and Mm. you are fucking killing it and and that's and that's what it is like i don't i guess I kind of lost your question yeah i think but i think I, i wonder if we can look at somebody who's like um I don't know, uh, let's say someone who's in a welfare office, like getting getting on Snap. Can we look at that person and say, that's black excellence? Hell yeah. Yeah. I think we should, right. But <laughs> I, 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 like we right here, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I, as the collective we, like I'm, I'm not seeing that labeled. I'm not, I'm seeing Wakanda as black excellence. That's great. Uh-huh. But what about like 
What you know what I mean? With food stamps. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, and again, and like being resourceful and working through your situation. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like, yeah, like I, I've um, sort of been talking about this in my work too about like um, taking all these like these like bullshit tropes of black women and 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 like turning them on their heads. Like uh-huh. to me, if you want to say welfare queen, I'm saying resourceful. Yeah. Because she's figuring out how to use the resources that she's given and the situation that she is given. So okay. and working with it. So to me. That is like pretty damn profound. Oh, definitely. So, and yeah, and I think I in this know. conversation, I'm I'm not really responding to what we individually think because I know <clears throat> that we're more aligned on this idea than not. But I'm thinking about how it how some of the media that we have control over, or some of the posts that we have control over, posting what we have have labeled as black excellence. And I'm thinking like Ebony Magazine and BET and like other institutions that we go to for ideas of like voices of the black community, how they've been using it and responding to that as opposed to like our own individual practices and ideas. Yeah, Yeah. I think yes and. I think it's necessary for them to sort of call out what they want to call out and and bring attention to it. And we're also recognizing that the the scope is very broad and it doesn't just include this. And that the the system will continue to do that though. I mean, I think it pops up with, in particular our world, with them constantly creating the scarcity model, which then it's like, um, name 10 black artists that are right. really excelling right. right now at a level, um, at a certain level. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, dial even further, like name the women, the black women that are doing like it just it becomes like a more I don't I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I yeah, mean, yeah, it does. It, it does. It, that's another part of like black exceptionalism, like these 10 folks like here. And I'm like, along with that, I'm like, what about the, let's, is there, a, is, will there be a space where we can say, look at Mind Buddhist Creative Arts Center. It's a um, black run and, and uh, art services in the Bronx that at that area, there's no other place like that that services 99% black and brown students with over 500 to, seven, 500 to 600 students in regular population on Saturday. Like, where's that labeled as like, look how great this place is because it hasn't gotten that kind of attention. True. I think the same thing for like some of the dance theaters where mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to the choice. Right. I made it. Mm-hmm. When we could be like, I'm going to perform at Michelle Obama's theater in Chicago. Yeah. How about that? Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. some black ushers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think we're doing that. And again, we can't change like mass culture's idea of like, oh, excellence and dance looks like. So you think you can dance because you just want something, or you know what I mean? Like we're not. There's gonna always be this constant sort of like push and pull of what is and what isn't. I think mm-hmm. that's the part of the fight that I actually fight the most. I I I don't believe that we can't. I believe that we can. And I and mm. I and that's well, the, and that's keep where. on thinking that. Yeah, because I think that we, um, as a society, the voices of the masses is what, is what drives what we value. And I think if we can continue to galvanize people to see things outside of that, then we will be able to shift it. As we did with um, the Black Power Movement in the in the 60s and the 70s with the Black Panthers wearing the hair the way that it was and the fashions the way that it was. They galvanized a lot of people and it became such a movement that we had a revolution at that time. And they, even now with our with our new like 2.0 Black Hair Revolution of accepting our blackness and stuff like that, you galvanize enough people and it becomes a fashionable trend to the point where you have Black Panther with their <laughs> with getting specific black hairstyles to do specific black hairs in the film. Yeah, but I'm thinking like there's a yes and like just mm-hmm. because we have a certain value system that doesn't mean that people shouldn't still call other stuff that I don't necessarily agree with excellent and value it. Like that's their thing. It's just like how can we exist alongside of like this was brought up in that workshop mm-hmm. that I did with Tommy DeFrance. It's like I don't dig ballet. I'm not interested in it. I'm not interested in perfecting it. 
can it still exist and get funding and people applaud it? Absolutely. I'm not saying get rid of the form, right. but also let's just recognize that there are some other forms mm-hmm. that, that, you know, should be talked about and put in the pot. So yeah. so I think we're saying the same thing then. Are we? Yeah. You don't think so? Um, Maybe. No, I really, I really want to know because I, I'm, I feel as though I'm saying that these things are already here. Now let's make sure we include these things. Include, in yes, yes, then yes, we are. Yeah, yes, we yeah. are. Awesome. Um, okay, we you are. See how, are we? You see how we bicker? No, I'm just saying. What? I'm just kidding. You, We're you not put bickering. two Aries on a podcast. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? You put two Aries on a podcast. <laughs> Um, what is, um, so I think we have to begin to transition now since we're technically over time. Um, so what we got going on next, Ricardo, you're in school, so you can give us. What I have going on next. <laughs> um. You have a performance coming up. Do I? Yeah, I just saw it. Y'all posted in March, um, at school. I mean, at school oh, yes. in, in, in Vermont. <laughs> yeah. We do. <laughs> um, we're po- Brotherhood Dancers performing at Goddard College hey. for, um, the sex and sexuality conference mm-hmm. that uh, the undergraduate students do for their residency there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're performing How to Survive a Plague and doing a workshop. And then we are going to Mexico for 10 days. Then Orlando and Jay are going to Houston, Texas. Ooh, ooh, ooh. In April. In April. April. <laughs> and... What's next? What? Oh, and I'm gonna get these grants. So All right, keep it together. Mm-hmm. Um, get the shmoney. The shmoney, and that's really about it. Yeah, for this year. Ow. Well, this first six months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Melanie is rounding out the last week and a half of the fun Drazer. Yes. Um, please uh, give support, love, yes, and many, many, many things. Right? Please. Yes. I, and thank you so much for all the people who've been a part of the conversation and donated so far. You just, like really don't understand how like it's so important to have a community to to be a part of and in conversation with this work in a variety of different ways. And I truly appreciate it. And um, we still got a goal to reach, so let's yeah. let's make that Bet. goal. Let's get to this and, 13k. You know, and I, right. and let me just say, like I understand, like where my community is, mm-hmm. and the fact that my community is giving, I'm I'm grateful and I love mm-hmm. it. Also, I want to, like, some of y'all folks that are in a tax bracket where you're not even getting taxes um, taken out because you, you uh, Trump mm-hmm. helped you out. All right. I'm talking <laughs> to you as well. Right. Um, You know, let's make some donations. Yes. Some of you, it won't hurt to drop, like, $10,000. You're fine with it. Okay. It's like. That's nothing. It's not a blow. Nothing. And I, understand, and I recognize that. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm asking for your nothing. I'm asking for your nothing, pretty much. Yeah. Tax deductible. So Jay-Z and Beyonce, I'm going to need you to check out this um, okay. link right? that's in I'm the bio. I'm going to need you to stop handing out one scholarships at a time. Right? Just, you know. Just say it. Oh, listen. Cause... You you guys talk about the trickle down, and this is why you um, had to get your tax cut. So, so give some of that Gucci money down. over to Melanie. All right. Trickle it down. Come on. And much appreciate it. And we're going to have a beautiful experience for you when you come May 16th and 17th, 2019. Boom. Come At um, Brooklyn Studios for Dance. Yeah, so right. come through. 7 7 30. You know, I like soft times. <laughs> As a soft timer, it's going to happen around. <laughs> it's going to happen when the sun is around this point in the, the sky, sky and your shadow is long. <laughs> <laughs> and you feel that you're close to the witching hour, but not quite. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. What I do, I don't. Um, 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 it's February still? Yep. Damn, it's a long month. 
It's not a long month, but it's like emotionally, it's been taxing. So I think I'm gonna been. still be like resting. I'm actually getting my taxes together. That's what's up next. That's um, what's up. I don't. I don't know if the government is gonna be like doing tax returns. Apparently, I'm hearing rumors <laughs> that they're not doing it. But I, I just. I want them off my back, so I'm gonna just do. I'm gonna yeah. just do my work, you know. So just in case, I don't actually expect a return this year. I'm expecting to have to okay. give a little something. Me but, too. So you know, I have a friend who's gonna help me, like make sure that um that I give as little as possible. So <laughs> um yeah, well yeah, let's do our dance union has. What's your dance union got? Oh, I was gonna say my dance. I like this. My dance union has a tax preparer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With the sliding scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, what is my come at? Come okay, at my dancing has um, <coughs> oh, tax preparer is really good. I just kind of can't get over that right now. Um, shit. Oh, my dancing has an app that allows you to upload all of your like untaxable income and your receipts in one place, and it's free. Shut up. So that you can just access them really quickly <laughs> for your tax oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> I know it. You know, is that ex- I know it exists. No, it is. QuickBooks is a thing, but it's not free. So. Yeah. I'm saying, but for us as dancers. Can a, you know? can a Negro generate an invoice without a headache, please? Oh, right. <laughs> okay. My dance union has a partnership with the marijuana industry because they got some coins over there that we should be looking into. Thanks. Yes. I'm telling you. This is a, <laughs> yo, no, this is nice. And this is also another conversation for later of Lynn. Like, notice how, like, all of a sudden when um, some folks got to, got. We're uh-huh. able to figure out how to use CBD oil. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. And now we got workshops and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Right. And, um, you know, people are still incarcerated for those same crimes, so people are now making money off mm-hmm. of. Oh, okay. It's simple as that. If the justice system was about justice, you would immediately release the people who are incarcerated. Exactly. Once you can, reali- once you can find a way to tax and create revenue off of marijuana. you just Because in- it's no longer a crime. So, you know, shit is imaginary. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so thank you for listening to another episode of the Dance Union Podcast. Um, you can make sure to listen to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes Podcasts, um, uh, what's the other thing? Google Spotify. Play Music, and now Spotify. Okay. Also, Ooh. tell your rich aunties and uncles about it and our Patreon. Uh, yes, and please make sure to check out our Patreon. Does at the title have podcasts? Yeah, they do. It's okay. I'm working on that. Okay. Um, Patreon.com backslash Dance Union. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at The Dance Union, as well as Facebook, Dance Union, The Dance Union Podcast. You can email us at thedanceunionpodcast at gmail.com. But we don't read it. Uh, I read them. So I, I'm really just don't. joking. I was like, don't do Melody that. Melody doesn't read emails. You can also just DM us. I actually, actually, oh, wait, wait, wait. Super lame. Super shout out to, um, I don't know her name, but there was a, somebody who listened to the Ariel podcast that we had, and they oh. emailed us slash messaged us in our DMs um, and let us know that they really appreciate the podcast, especially oh. as an Ariel artist and, like, you know, getting a little yes. bit of representation. So that made, me, that made my heart smile. Thank you. Yes. yes. Um, so where was I at on that? That was all the things... I think it was all the things. So, yeah, I've, we mentioned a lot of links and things. So just check out uh, the description box wherever you're listening so that you know how to um, give slash share um, Melanie's fundraiser as mm-hmm. well as um, know where the Brotherhood Dance is performing at Goddard College and more information about that. So, yeah, make sure you hit up that. I put a lot of, like, informational things in the description box. Check it out. And I feel like let's keep having these conversations about – um, black exceptionalism and black uh, mm-hmm. excellence, I feel like is really complex. And it's I very... don't know that I was necessarily prepared to have it today, mm-hmm. but that I, I want to keep sort of di- um, taking it apart and understanding yeah. what it is that we're saying. Yeah. I'm trying to say. 
It's a, it's a thing. Yeah. Hey, Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you ready? Five, six, seven, eight. Five, six, seven, Five, eight. six, seven, eight. Why did you do that? We out, out. Because you always get to do it. I just realized. Well, then just say you want to do it. I 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 want to do it. Five, six, seven, eight. We out. Just gonna let me be the only one to do it. That was good. That was it. Well, I got to be the only one to do it. That was good. Bye. Bye. There's a great truth that you should know when you Where is-